Welcome to the Artistic Finance Podcast, where we break down the wall between art and money. If you're here looking for how to be an artist and financially sustain a career, you're in the right place. Keep listening and join us as we learn about artists and how they make money work for them. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Ethan Steimel, here for episode 45. Today's guest is Roman Cruz a performer and dance captain from the current Broadway revival of West Side Story. It's making history as the first West Side revival to stray from the original blocking with all-new choreography by Anna Teresa de Kiersmacher. Roman is also a dancer from the In the Heights movie. In addition to being a performer, Roman is a Wall Street trader, which is what I'm excited to talk to him about today. Just the act of him trading is a reminder that because you work in one profession, you aren't immune from saving and investing. Working in the arts doesn't mean you get a pass at the business side of things, and if Roman can do it while performing on Broadway, you can too. Before we learn how Roman trades stocks, I do have a favor to ask. It's going to take a minute, so if you want to get to the interview, skip ahead two minutes. Listening to this show is free, and that's important because this information needs to be accessible and needs to be a part of our mainstream conversations. Producing each episode takes over 24 hours, and there are overhead costs associated with it. I keep it simple, and I've never run an ad or paid for marketing, which is something I plan to do in the long run. The favor I'm asking is that you support the show and consider becoming a patron. Becoming a patron is as little as $3 a month, and as a patron, you get the extended interviews, early access to the shows, discounts to the merch store, and a direct line of communication to me. And also, you can feel good about supporting the mission of the show and providing a financial education resource for artists. If you'd be so kind as to support, please do so at patreon.com artisticfinance. May 5th, 2021 is the one-year anniversary of Artistic Finance. At that point, we'll have conducted 56 interviews, and I'm going to use that as an occasion to slow the release of new interviews to twice a month. While I'm passionate about encouraging discourse around finance and the arts, and while I will continue to conduct these interviews, I can't justify the time to publish weekly. That being said, if I can get to 50 patrons by May 5th, I will continue to publish weekly for at least another month, and find a way to make it sustainable to produce weekly. If you have considered becoming a patron, please take action now before May 5th. Certainly don't feel obligated, but if you want to help, that's the best way. You'll also be able to access the outtakes from today's conversation with Roman, where we discuss financial literacy, the books he's read, and the specific software and hardware setup he uses to day trade. Visit patreon.com slash artisticfinance to access that, including a private podcast feed with the back catalog of extended interviews. Links to everything we discuss is in the show notes and on our website, artisticfinance.com. Without further ado, let's get to our interview. Welcome, Roman Cruz, to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me here, uh, Ethan. I really appreciate your time and attention to this subject. This is March 2nd of 2021 that we're recording this. So we're amidst the COVID-19 pandemic, yes. and then we're also amidst the Black Lives Matter just slow burn in America and across the world. Right, right. You know, which pretty much um, 
goes hand in hand with the production that we're working with too. West Side Story and everything and 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 that storyline, which is incredible. You know, they're just uh the way everything aligned in a sense. Unfortunate, but very much um revealing, revealing and quite telling. Could you just give us a quick sort of recap of your life? How did you get into theater and then where you are sort of right now in your career? My name is Roman Cruz. I'm currently 31 years young. Uh, I'm Puerto Rican and single and committed to the vision, as you can see. <laughs> and um, I graduated from school. Uh, when I graduated from Juilliard, despite that I graduated on a full scholarship and actually cashed in roughly about 40,000 while attending, I wasn't as fortunate like my other colleagues. They were offered contracts in dance companies right out of school. So I had to re pretty much reinvent myself all over again from the ground up, putting me in a, in a, in a, in a tight predicament. So by this time, I was pretty much drained, a little tired and somewhat a little mad with dance. Um, so I wanted to do something different to spice things up. I knew that there was a big world outside of dance that I wanted to explore and understood that you had to be willing to somewhat die and give up who you are now for what you can become later. I understood the power of delayed gratification and, and having to put in the work now to then reap what you've sown later. Taking that into consideration uh, and now being out in the real world and venturing outside of my comfort zone once again, you know, which was not an option. It was never an option. <laughs> I, I figured I should do something different that would be more greatly rewarding, um, at least financially. Because after all the hard work that I put into myself, my career, my craft, it, it seemed like I, I wasn't really fully rewarded in a sense. You know, like I said, at least financially after school, I didn't book that dance contract. So I practically moved back home with my parents. Here I was uh, working at a certain caliber and then not doing it at all. Um, so when you say move back home, it's designing New, New Jersey, Newark, New Jersey, but I was pretty much under my, my, my parents' nest. I didn't have no employment. I didn't have no, no sense of direction. I was auditioning for a lot of dance companies. For some reason, I wasn't getting chosen, despite that sometimes I, I was amongst, I humbly say this, I was amongst the strong ones, but I will, I will not be contracted. And, and just time-wise, is this I'm doing math. Is this like 2012-ish? I graduated in 2012. So this is more like uh, 2012, 2013, 14, and leading on forward. Uh, because then mid-2014, 2015, that I went to Miami for vacation that pretty much changed my entire life. Yeah? Oh, tell <laughs> us. Yeah. <laughs> um, you don't have to share anything you don't want to share. <laughs> no, give me, no, no, I will. I will share with you. I will share with you. Just give me one second. I thought you were like, I'm actually trading a stock right now. I'm, I got to sell out of my GameStop option. <laughs> Before we started this interview, that's what I was doing. You know, um, the name of the game is a thousand dollars a day keeps a job away. You know, so that's the, that's the goal for the day, every day. And I'm glad to say that I met my goal and now here we are. <laughs> I got to incorporate that phrase into my life. $1, yes, $1, yes, day yes. Keeps the job away. Because <laughs> you're actually the second sort of stock trader I've talked to. Oh, really? I joked with the first one. I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And of course I'm not. Like, I'm not, it's not in my blood. I'm not going to do it. But after today, maybe I will. <laughs> you should do it. You can do it. You know, um, anybody can do this. You just got to put your mind to it. You really got to put your mind to it. You got to just commit yourself. It all depends on your learning curve and how bad you really want it. How bad you really want to secure your financial future. That's like so subtly said, but it's so true. And I think as artists and theater people, we sort of understand that like anybody can do anything. Right. Obviously, everybody can't be a dancer. But if somebody wants to be a dancer, 90% of people could be a dancer. They would just have to go to class. They would just have to train. Almost anybody can do anything. 
it's just what you said. Like, how badly do you want it? And are you going to persevere, do it, learn it? How much do you want it? Yeah, how much do you want it? You know, and to be honest, like, I admit, acquiring the skill and know-how was no easy feat. Um, it pretty much took me about five years to be profitable, but it's been certainly worth it. Not because of the of the money that I, I make, of course, but more because of the man that it turned me into. It made me better mentally, emotionally, and um, of course, financially, but spiritually too. Uh, the market forced me to pretty much study myself and go within to truly know thyself, as they say. And it, it broke me, but mysteriously passed me back up, you know, stronger, wiser, much more mature on all levels. Timeline. So for like two or three years, you were living in New Jersey, like under your parents' umbrella. Is that when you were starting to learn about stocks? First, before I got into Wall Street, at first I dabbled into like network marketing and uh, followed by internet marketing for a few years. Just getting my feet wet, seeing what works and what doesn't work. I stumbled upon uh, Wall Street and trading stocks when I met someone during a Miami vacation who managed to turn 13K, 13,000 into $2.1 million. And that really intrigued me. That really intrigued me because he was really young. Um, and he told me that he started out in high school. He started out in high school and he got permission from his parents to have a brokerage account. And he started with his own but missed for money, 13K. I was certainly intrigued. That pretty much started my journey, my learning curve as a stock market uh, trader. Right now, I'm a, I'm a NASDAQ day trader, so I only trade NASDAQ stocks that are very volatile. I also only trade stocks in a certain price range, like $2 to $10, and find myself always uh, following the momentum. With volatility and, and momentum uh, comes great opportunity. It comes like a feeding frenzy in the market. These are the only two things I know about stock trading. The trend is your friend. Trend is your friend. And momentum is a thing. Yeah, it's a thing. That's what we're always looking for. Which stock is in play today? Before I enter a trade, I, I, I plan the trade. Because if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. It's, it's that simple. You know, stocks can be extremely volatile. That there's simply no room to hesitate or to think sometimes. You have to become one with your strategy. I first acknowledge price range along with the risk reward ratio. I, I take into account the float and volume of a stock, acknowledge where is that according to the price action in the chart. Wait, 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 time out. You said float, what does that mean? The float is the number of shares that are allowed to be traded in the market by the masses. There's the outstanding shares and then there's the float of the stock. The outstanding share is the entire shares that a stock has, but some officers, some CEOs, they have shares. Those shares are already claimed. The float represents the shares that are open to be traded for the public. A stock could have outstanding shares of a hundred million, but the float, the amount of shares is allowed to be traded that is siphoning through is only maybe 10,000. So you want to really take into consideration a float of a stock in and of itself tells you how, how, how fast it's going to be moving. The lower the float, the better. It all comes down to supply and demand. Let's say you have 10 uh, cookies in a, in a jar, right? In your line of business, you only have 10, 10 cookies in the jar, but you have 100 buyers. You have 100 customers. How do you give? How do you sell them? How do you part them out? through bidding, a bidding war, you know, how much are they willing to pay? You know, right now I can sell my cookies at $1 for all the, the hundred people, but you don't have a hundred cookies. You only have 10. You establish who's going to get a cookie by who's willing to pay the most. So because you have 
low supply and a high demand, that's gonna bring the stock price higher. So when you're looking for the float, you're looking for a small float. You're looking for a small float. The ah. smaller, the better. Cause I thought, I thought if the float was larger, well then it would be easier to like move things around. Nah, that's not it. Because the thing is the shares of float could always be um, ciphered. It could, it, it's exchanging, you know, from buyer to seller. The exchange that's happening is prompting up the stock. That's what's making it get higher. If there's too much supply, it's not gonna change the price action, making it going higher. It's actually gonna uh, plummet the stock. If there's too much supply, no demand. There has to be more demand than supply. So wait, so I wanna go, uh, go back and like follow your plan for buying stocks. It has to be between two and $10, and then you look for a small float. And that's how you decide what you're gonna move on. Well, it's, it's not only that, you know, I, I first acknowledge the price range, along with the, the risk reward ratio too. You know, you have to take your risk reward ratio into account. What are you willing to risk for the reward that you're actually um, looking to acquire? You wanna, you want at least a, a three to one ratio. If I'm willing to risk 10 cents, then I should at least make 30 cents or 20 cents from it, 25 cents, you know? You have to take that into account because if not, then it, it, it will haunt you. It will, it will be a burden because you enter the, the, the trade without a, a real game plan. You didn't set your targets. You didn't set your, your goal, your stop loss. You didn't, you didn't do your homework in a sense. So when, when the market starts like moving so volatile, you can, you can freeze like a deer in, in, in headlights because you don't want to cash out. When you're in a stock, if you're up, your, your gains are still unrealized or your loss is still unrealized. The minute you sell or get rid of your, you close your position, that's when you realize your gains. Sometimes people, when the stock doesn't go in their favor and they didn't, they didn't actually set their stop loss, set their targets in place, they're more susceptible and vulnerable to actually freezing up when the stock doesn't play in their favor, holding and hoping that it will bounce back in their favor. And that's not a strategy, that's gambling. Yeah. The reason I don't trade stocks is I just buy and I don't have any rules, right? You got to have rules, right? That's the main thing. And, and so what I end up doing is I just hold and I never want to sell. Like it goes up 50% and people are like, oh, that would be great. Like that, the obvious thing would be, okay, sell out, take your gains. Take your gains. So anyway, so I just end up holding forever, which is not stock trading. <laughs> yeah. It's not stock trading, then you're, 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 you're holding and hoping in a sense, and you have to set up rules to keep you in line and, and to keep your train from derailing. You know, sometimes you can have all these little winners that amount to like 2,500, but it, it takes that one stock that you get stubborn on that you don't, you don't cut your losses quickly and you keep holding. And now you've given all your gains back. So in a sense, you have to be extremely disciplined. You have to be extremely disciplined. And, and I would say you probably have to write it down, right? Do you have this written down somewhere or is this all just in your head? No, no, I have I have little sticky notes and stuff. Um, I have my rules and guidelines written down just to keep me organized and, and, and aligned, keep my mind uh, clear, clear headed. That's, that's another thing I know about life is you just have to write it down. If you don't write it down, it's not a thing. Yes, you have to write it down. It's, 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 you have to capture the thoughts as they come because it could just keep going by like, like the wind of the breeze. Theater is a beautiful thing. And part of the reason why it's beautiful is it's a one-time event, never to be repeated. It's very ethereal. But 
the book is written down, the music is written down, the lighting cues are all written down, the sound is documented, the actor's blocking is documented. It's all written down. It's been solidified. To create this sort of transcendent moment. No, yeah, and, and, and that serves us in our favor. Yeah, tremendously. That pretty much transfers over to here as well. You have to be very um, organized. You have to be very disciplined and make sure that you're keeping yourself in aligned and order and write everything down because there's so many stocks that move through my scanners looking at so many numbers. Sometimes I get numbers confused and I, and I flip them back. You know, it's, sometimes it's 98 and then I put eight, nine, <laughs> the mind, it, 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 it does these, these mysterious things, but, um, you work with it, you work with it, but the more that you document and you notate the, the better it'll be for you. Um, okay. So I want to go back to your, your plan because you also said you make your plan before you buy the stock. So I want to get more specific about that, but okay. You determine your risk reward. Then you look for something between two and $10. Then you look for something that has a small float and then you make your plan of what you're going to do to purchase and then sell. Yes. Now, before I find a stock, how do I find a stock? You know, I have specific scanners set up to alert me whenever a stock starts to move in my desired direction. If a stock meets my, my criteria and is brought to my attention, resulting in the stock being in play at that moment, I transfer it over from my scanner to my charts to be able to see when and where it would be best for me to, to enter and pretty much uh, start implementing my strategy. Uh, when you say scanner mm -hmm. <laughs> and then you say chart, I assume this is something on a computer. Is there a certain software or website that you're using? Yes. Um, for scanners, I, I use trade ideas. They're really great. They pretty much alert you. The scanners are pretty much scanning hundreds of thousands of, of stocks, finding the needle in the haystack, the stock that is in play at that moment. But despite, you know, just because they, there's a stock that presents itself on your scanner doesn't mean that you should just jump in either. You have to have a trained eye. You have to know what you're looking for. Price action is king. And the price action of a stock starts to create certain patterns. And you want to hone in on this pattern and get in on the sweet spot. Does pattern mean like the up and down wave chart? Right, the up and down wave, yes. Certain patterns are, are pretty much uh, established right before your eyes. It's, it becomes like a treasure map. Only those that can read a treasure map can actually... Uh, profit and thrive from it. They know where to find the treasure and they know um, how to go about it. Everything here is scientifically measured. The real money makers don't hold and hope, you know, we're not gamblers. We have a strategy. The strategy is, is efficient, you know, 73, you know, 77% of the time. That's a great ratio that you want to work with. You know, if you can be right 70%, you know, 80% of the time, that's, that's great, you know? When you go into a trade, are you saying, I'm willing to buy it at this price and then automatically it's going to sell at a predetermined price? You don't want to be buying the price. Like I'm only going to buy it once it crosses over into like the two or, or the one, you know, you, you want to actually pay more attention to the, to the pattern that is playing out right before your eyes. If that pattern happens to be at $3, then it's at $3. That's where we're playing. If that pattern happens to be at seven, then it's at seven is really the pattern that you want to mine more than where the price of the stock is. Now you want to mine the price of the stock because it all depends on how much you're able to buy. If the stock is $10 a share, why will you want to be playing in that, in that price range when you can be playing 
in a price range of $2 and be able to get 5,000 shares, you know, the fact that the stock moves just 10 cents, that 10 cent move, you just pocketed $500 because you got 5,000 shares. It's a matter of how big is your account, the number of shares that you're, you're able to get that will establish how long you have to actually hold the stock too, you know? The stock could move 20 cents, 30 cents. If you didn't pick up the right amount of shares, that doesn't mean that you're gonna be profitable. Let's say there's a stock that is a dollar, right? Let's say you only have $1,000, so you can only pick up 1,000 shares. Now the stock moves 5 cents, just 5 cents. That 5 cents turns into $50. Now, depending upon your brokerage, is that enough to even cover your, your, your fee? You got you to gotta pay to play. To get in, you got to pay. You get To get out, you got to pay, you know, and they want to get paid, you know? If a stock only moves 5 cents and you only have $1,000, a lot of people they don't want to they don't want to keep that they want to hold on they want more gains right yeah you're talking about me i'm most people <laughs> <laughs> the common person will hold on hoping that it will go higher but it's reached the wall it's reached the ceiling it's not going higher it's hesitating so you don't get out you hold it but me i will get out I had, let's say 10,000 shares. And because I had 10,000 shares, I invested 10,000, whereas you invested a thousand. What is five cent difference, you know, to 10,000? So you'd make 500. Well, I would have made 500 with just a five cent increment increase. I don't have to hold on to my position, holding and hoping because I already made good money in just that five cent increment, uh, you know, increase in price where you will have to hold a little bit more. You will have to hold much longer to see a $500 profit. So when you say you look for two to $10, if something pops up and you look at it and it's 950, would you be less inclined to buy it versus if it popped up at 250? I will perhaps be a little bit more inclined, less inclined to buy it, taking into account the amount of money that I will have to actually like put into the, the stock to implement my strategy as as uh, as I would at a lower price. The thing is, you're exposing yourself too much. You don't want to be exposing yourself too much. There's always different stocks that are in play. You know, if if it's out of your price range or close to it being out of your price range, you can play with it with smaller share size. But again, you will have to hold a little bit longer. The moves have to be more juicier and. We can't predict how high or how far stock is going to go. You, you just simply can't predict if a stock is going to go 20 cents, 50 cents, a dollar. You just got to pretty much ride that wave, ride that trend and, and, and pay attention to the red flags. Those moments when the stock starts hesitating, it's giving you signs of weakness where you just got to pull out and take your gains, let it pull back, let it retrace some of the, the, the movement, find a better ground, some support, and then you get in at the you know lowest to the support once it's found and you ride that wave when it's coming back up. It's all about timing. So if I were to do this, if I'm like, I'm going to be like Roman. So to me, I would look at the chart and I, I'm watching this stock and it's going up to $2, down to $1, up to $2, down. To, and that's sort of like its waveform. That's the range. That's the range that it's working in. So in my brain, I would say, okay, I'm going to put in an order that when it reaches a dollar, I'll purchase it. I'll know that when it goes back up to two, that's when I'll sell it. That's how my brain works. But you're saying... No, don't say that you're going to buy it at a dollar. Wait for it to sort of have momentum. If you acknowledge the range and you acknowledge that it has set a certain support, it established itself as, as the ground, the support. If you see that that support is not breaking it, then that is a sign that the support is holding, which is good. Once she hits that support, 
you know, a couple of times, you want to get in at that low. So when she bounces back up towards that two, you're, you're not underwater. You're in full profit zone. Now, you want to give yourself some rules because there's no telling that the stock is going to go back to two. What if it goes to 150? You're going to be stubborn and hold it and not take profits and wait for it to go all the way back to one. And then all of a sudden you have nothing to show for it. And you may be underwater now. <laughs> you never lose taking profit. You know, profit is profit. You can never lose taking profit. Oh, that's good, Roman. I got to remember that. Everybody remember <laughs> this. You never lose by taking a profit. Right. You win some and you lose some. But the name of the game is to win more than you lose. And when you do have profit, take it. You, you, will never, you can never feel bad about taking profit. Hey, you just walked away with more money than when you walked in. When you were saying when it gets down to that dollar where that's support and it's not going any lower, is it good because likelihood of it going lower than that in the future is less likely? At the moment, that is setting itself up as the support. If that support doesn't break, most likely if it's whatever doesn't go down goes up. So if that support holds, that's going to be your sign to be getting in at that support. Now, if it cracks, get out. Get out because the real money, they're very disciplined and paying attention to these levels. And the minute those levels break, they are cashing out. They, they're just cutting their losses. And that's what makes the, the, the crash even plummet even more. It, it, that's what makes it tank. And you don't want to be drinking the Kool-Aid <laughs> as it goes down. Okay, well, I, I'm not a stock trader, but I, I opened up a, an IRA when I was like 20. And I put in money. And of course, when you put money in the retirement account, you have to like buy a stock or something with it. So I just buy and hold forever. But something I learned later was to invest in your winners and get rid of your losers, what you just said earlier, like cut your losses. And I did the opposite. I did like, I, it's am, I'm amateur hour at the disco. Like, oh, this one is, is going down. I'll purchase more of it right. because right. eventually that's the trap. Yeah, because like it's got to go back up. And then the ones that went higher, I was like, well, I've already made so much on those. I don't want to buy them when they're high. So I did the exact opposite of what you should do. Right. <laughs> Which is is natural. That's the thing. It's very natural for us to be inclined to do these things. The more you come to know yourself, the more you will become one with the nature of the market. And you have to do the exact opposite of what you're, you're used to and, and controlling your emotions as well, which is another factor. People get very emotional when it, when it comes to money. Are you okay with taking risk, with taking losses? Some people are not okay with, with taking losses, you know, or, or cutting their losses short because they, they, they have some skeletons in their closets that they need to, they need to deal with, to, they need to work with. And until that phase, until that doesn't happen, then you will be at a halt. So you need to come to really know yourself, how you work, your, you know, your mind, how the human uh, psychology actually works. So you can use it in your favor because um, I was doing exactly what you just explained too. I used to do that myself. So it's like, how do you go about changing these habits that are no longer serving you? And I think that also is why you write things down. When you write it down, it's like, that's the rule I live by. Obviously, I can always change it later and adjust the rule as needed, but it gives you a metric. Yes. It takes out the emotion because it's like, well, I said $2 was good and I wrote it down. Whereas if I didn't write it down, I could then get to $2 and be like, well, I, I ha it has to get to three. Right. And it's like, no, no, you, you wrote it, take the emotion out. And that's, that's why you have to write it down to hold yourself accountable. Yes. And you'll be surprised that 
how undisciplined you'll be after writing it down too. You'll write, <laughs> <laughs> you'll write it down. And the minute everything is over, the trade has already happened. What just happened? I just broke all of my rules. Everything that I, 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 I wrote down and, and planned just went out the window. Writing everything down, your, your process, your journey, you, you're able to then reflect on all those trading days and, and really tune in and see a pattern, your pattern of what you're doing and what you're not doing. So you have to acknowledge your strengths while working on your weaknesses because it's your weaknesses that could sabotage everything that you worked for. My problem at one point in time was I knew how to make the money, but I didn't know how to keep it. There's a time when, when your discipline muscle becomes undisciplined. <laughs> the discipline meter decreases the more time that you, you spend in the market. I, I've acknowledged that I have a certain window when I'm really focused, I'm just one with it and I'm, I'm not susceptible to any distractions. It's just me in the market, it's go season. I made my bread and butter there, which is the first hour of the market. But due to this pandemic, there's been a lot of activity pre-market. So I've been making my money pre-market. I've been meeting my goal pre-market before the market opens at 9.30. So I've been waking up a little bit early, like at 8, 8.30 to trade. And by like 9, 9.30, sometimes I'm, I'm pretty much done. I'm done with my day, you know, up $2,000, um, $3,000 for that day. Because you earlier you said $1,000 a day keeps the job away. Is that your metric of like, it's not like, oh, I'm going to sit and go from 8.30 to 9.30 and then be done with it. It's I'm going to make $1,000 and then I'm going to walk away. That's the goal for the day. $1,000 a day keeps the job away. So I want to meet that goal. But many times that goal will be met and the stock is still running, it's still racing, it's still in play. So what do you do? You just, you just shut the shop down? No, you follow the trend. You continue to ride the wave. And by the time you really like, you really cash out, all of a sudden you see that, you know, your $1,000 goal was met, plus you made another 4,000 or another 2,000. All of a sudden it just starts compounding. The initial goal is to make a thousand a day. I mean, let's, let's be real. Uh, there are people who are making what, 500, a thousand dollars a week. If you can make that in a day or even $200 a day or $300, that will all add up on top of what you're already making. Remember, you're trying to, you're trying to build an extra stream of, of, of income coming in. In a sense, this is just going to elevate you to greater heights. Okay. So when you say extra stream of income, to me, this sounds like a job. Like, unless if you're trading, you can be making money. But if you're not trading, you're not making money. That's right, right? Right. You're not, if you're not, if you're not trading, you're not making money unless you, you're trading long-term. If you're a long-term trader uh, where you're a swing trader, you're holding for days. Now, that's a different strategy. I don't invest long-term. The longest I'm in a trade is perhaps five to 10 minutes. I get in and out quick. If you know what you're doing, then you'll be... You'll be getting in at the very sweet spot. What I understand of trading is there's day traders like you that are in and out within a day. Then there's long-term investors who say, we're going to buy Apple and just hold it for 10 years because we think in 10 years. Right. Or Netflix or Amazon, which they're doing amazing. Yeah, exactly. Both examples of winners that you keep buying. Yes. Because it's like, just because it's reaching new records doesn't mean it's slowing down. Um, okay, so there's those two. You had mentioned swing trade, and I know you don't do a swing trade, but what is that? A swing trading is when you, you get in a trade looking to hold it for a couple of days. 
like two to three days. You know, you're pretty much uh, following the same patterns, but it, it, at a slower pace. Whereas day traders, it is so volatile. Everything that goes up must come down. So being that we're working with, with stocks that have such a small float, these stocks are moving from $2 to, you know, sometimes $10. There was a stock that, that went from $3 all the way to $20. You know the amount of money that was made that day? A 10 cent move with the 5,000 share position is $500 gain. So imagine a dollar move as $5,000, $2,000, So imagine one stock moving in one day from $2 all the way to $20. That's an $18 move. Those are supernova moves. Those are the ones that we dream of. When they present themselves, you want to put the metal to the pedal. You want to go full throttle. You want to size up and cash in because this doesn't happen every day. But when it does happen, you have to, you have to really uh, step up to the plate and take a swing. There's no telling if next month's going to be a slower month. There's hot streaks and cold streaks in the market. And the more that you, you, you show up, the more you start learning its ebb and flow. The more you start familiarizing yourself with, with how it moves and you start pretty much reading between the lines, which is quite fa you know, it's a fascinating thing to be able to, to get to. Well, that's, that's good because reading between the lines, like I'm talking to you and I'm like, all right, let's figure out your rules. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> and, and there's all these things that you know just from doing it and from having the experience and you're reading between the lines and I'm asking a very simple question and you're like, well, you got to take into this factor and this factor and this factor. So I feel like that's what reading between the lines is. It's all this knowledge that you sort of know and accumulate and you can't just matrix it to me and like put it in my brain. I would have to choose, okay, I'm going to become a day trader. I'm going to read how to do it. I'm going to practice on the simulator. Then I'm going to jump in. And a year or two later, then I'd be like, okay, I'm reading between the lines. Well, the thing is that it's going to take a level of commitment. Going back into what I said, how I first uh, dabbled into network marketing, followed by internet marketing for a few years, I quickly got tired of having to deal with, uh, with people in that field and business I was in. So I got turned off by it, but this phase was a very important turning point for me though, because I realized that I wanted to get into something that didn't require me having to deal and work with others, but something that only dealt with numbers uh, while also giving me the chance to make me wealthy and fully independent. I was, uh, you know, as you can see, I was never really the nine to five type of guy. So I figured if I, if I was going to get into something else that it would have to be something really worth my time. You know, I mean, what do people mostly exchange their time for? Money. And being that the majority of people trade about eight to 12 hours a day for five days a week for only about a few dollars, I figured that if I'm gonna be devoting myself to anything, that it would have to be something greatly rewarding, getting me out of the rat race, so to, so to speak. Something that didn't have a financial ceiling, allowing me to, to buy my time and freedom back. When I first started out, I don't, I don't come from a rich family, so I didn't grow up with, with much financial literacy. You know, I pretty much knew how to blow the money, but never how to make the money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And as we all know, school doesn't really prepare us with the proper tools to fully thrive in life. It doesn't, doesn't matter how much the degree is either, because you would think that nearly a quarter of a million dollar degree 
you know, a quarter of a million dollar school will go, will go over the numbers disclosing how much we should uh, even charge the product, the product being us. But no, um, they failed to, you know, teach the business aspect of it, despite all the money that, that went into acquiring the degree. So you're pretty much are left on your own, you know, to figure things out. You know, we see how things going through the whole school system, you know, we, we unfortunately train to, to just be employees not how to become rich independent bosses. Because of this, you have to commit yourself to you. Because if you don't, then who will? And, and you committing yourself to you, you have to really establish your reasons why. Why are you doing what you're doing? What is your purpose? You know, your, your, your purpose for existence, you know? And does it align with, with, with your morals and your ethics? Now, I'm an artist. I'm a performing artist. I love, I love uh, doing what I do, but I knew that I didn't want to do what I do just for money because there are times that, like I said, you're not booked. So what are you doing? I want, but I knew that I wanted to secure my, my financial future, my security, so then I can be able to do what us artists always dreamed of, which is, which is just play in our playground. Also you know, not have to worry about money not have to do something because the numbers are, are good, despite that you don't feel okay with taking on that job, you know? There, there's certain questions that arises and these questions, they, they end up leading you through different uh, pathways. Like I said, you know, you, anybody can do this, you can do this, you know? Uh, it all depends on you, your learning curve and how bad do you really, really want it. Um, like it, it will take some time. It's going to take some time. It doesn't come easy. That, that does bring up a question that I wanted to ask because yeah. you said that I can do it, which man, Roman, you are putting some faith in me. <laughs> <laughs> so I looked up on NerdWallet and I just looked up how to start trading stocks for beginners. Okay. So they have six steps that they say, do this. So I want, I want to walk through those steps and you say either agree or tell us how that works for you. So... <laughs> Their step one for beginner is decide how you want to invest in the stock market. Right. Are you gonna are you gonna trade options? Are you gonna trade stocks? Are you gonna swing trade? What type of trader are you gonna be? You know, which which swing trader or day trader? Um, so pretty much establishing which department in the market you're gonna focus in on. Um, okay. So step two for beginners. Choose an investing account. An account, like a brokerage account. Okay, so brokerage. So by the way, what, what is a brokerage account? Because I only learned that word like five years ago. Five years ago? <laughs> a brokerage account is pretty much the middleman in which is going to be handling your transactions, all of your transactions. When you get in, you got you to gotta pretty much go to a brokerage firm. To get out, you got to go to a brokerage firm. So, okay, so like there's a bank account. I can't use a bank account. You pretty much have to open a brokerage account and then reallocate your funds to that brokerage account and then um, play with your money in that platform. Step number three was learn the difference between investing in stocks and funds. Well, I guess what it's saying is stocks are like individual companies and funds are sort of slower moving, bigger things. Oh, index funds. That's probably what it means, right? It could mean in index fund. Yeah, it could mean that. But either way, you are stocks. Yes. We know that. Yes. NASDAQ stock. So then step four, set a budget for your stock investments. Meaning how much you're willing to invest, how much you're willing to expose yourself to the market, and how much you're, you're, 
you're willing to risk, when it's okay for you to just bail out, you know, you have to pretty much set these targets. Once they're met, you got to do something about it. You're going to hold or you're going to, you're going to hold and hope you're going to take profit or you're going to just sell when you're underwater and gave it all back. Um, okay. Then their fifth step is focus on the long term, which I think sounds counterintuitive to you but not really. It could go both ways. I took it as focus in the long term, meaning it could be as, as a swing trader, investing long term, or perceiving it as a marathon. Like this is not a get rich quick type of game. This ain't it. If you think that you're going to get rich real quick, then this ain't for you. Don't scratch the itch. Okay. You're going to get hurt. It involves a lot of preparation, psychological understanding, developing that intuitive instinctual muscle because you can read between the lines that comes by you just showing up always showing up every day and never giving up never never quitting it leads to that question what separates those that have a full-time career in the arts from those that never get started or transition out and they simply never gave up they never gave up on themselves, their dreams and their utmost desires. They simplify sheer grit and perseverance along with great patience. Think about it. If you really found your purpose and your reason for being, will you leave it after warding it for many seasons to just walk away, you know, from, from who you are? A fish belongs in water, <laughs> you know? You got to find your environment. You got to find your environment um, and never give up. Never give up. Never let up. You don't know when it's when all the lights are going to turn on. We just don't know when everything is just, you know, you're just going to get into flow. One thing is certain is that you will get there if you don't give up. You got to see it through. I love it. <laughs> and just to wrap, wrap up that nerd wallet, six steps. Step number six is manage your stock portfolio. Instead of having other people like hedge funds manage my portfolio, I'm managing my own. I'm managing my finances. I am in full control of everything. Well, you know, I'm seeing what's happening, where my money's coming in, where it's going, the transaction fees. These are all things that could uh, be overlooked at times, uh, especially those, those hidden fees that they don't speak of, <laughs> you know, uh, which is why I actually decided to like set up my own retirement plan instead of going with the, the traditional 401k and pension retirement and stuff like that. Um, I came across a lot of hidden fees that they don't easily disclose eating up at, at, at your, your capital when it's time to cash out. Um, I decided, you know, again, you know, what better way to actually like take control of my way. But you earlier, you said per trade, you have to pay a fee to trade. And every brokerage firm has a different fee. Okay. So in my brain, when I hear brokerage account, I, I think that's an account with money that's going to be traded in the stock market. And it's not a retirement account and it's not like a bank account or anything. But but is it can a retirement account be a brokerage account or is it a brokerage account? I have a brokerage account, but I have complete control of it. You can have hedge fund managers really play with your money, but I, I don't let hedge fund manager manage or play with my money. Uh, I think I have my best interest in mind. <laughs> uh, and yes, you could like just to answer your question. Um, yes, you could actually set a like a Roth IRA retirement brokerage account. And the benefits of that is you won't pay any tax on any capital gains from your trades there. The only downfall is that you won't be able to touch it or, or cash out, take it out of there until you officially retire. 
Now, I haven't gone this route yet, taking into account that I don't know if I'll be, if I'll make it that long. <laughs> I'm trying to enjoy my money now. I know others who went about it this route, this way. But before they went to that step, they first started out on a regular broker's account, transferred their money to that broker's account, turned it into six figures, seven figures, and then once they solidified, you know, their environment in a sense, their life in a sense, they don't have to worry about money anymore. They're, they're okay. They're good. They're rich. They made it. From there, they pretty much open up a Roth IRA brokerage account. So then they won't have to pay that 40% tax on capital gains. It's, it's hard. It's hard. 40% to give 40% to Uncle Sam for doing nothing. <laughs> you know, it, it stings a little. <laughs> But that's what you're giving. That's sort of what you're giving, uh, like by working, by earning. Pretty much, pretty <laughs> much, pretty much. Um, but right here, like for instance, you start making so much money that you you start paying that on 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 quarterly. So I mean, a hundred thousand dollars, you you get hit forty k. <laughs> I'm not knowledgeable about this, but I thought the tax law changed so it's only twenty percent capital gains. It depends on your on which tax bracket you you fall on. Gotcha. Yeah, but the the, the highest is 40, you, you, you gotta pay 40%. Which I wanna say, cause you're saying, I don't wanna give it to Uncle Sam. And I totally, I'm with you there. But on the flip side, what you said earlier of, there's no loss in a gain. That's true. So there's nothing wrong with a gain. That's true. If you make $100 and you have to pay 40 of that to Uncle Sam, that's $60 that you have that you didn't have before. Like you wouldn't have to pay that 40 if you didn't make 100. Yes, it's painful to say goodbye to it. And there's all ways to sort of get around that. Right. Even if you pay that 40%, just like selling a house, even if you have to pay the capital gains on your the house you sold, it still means that you made money. Because if you lost, then you don't have to pay that tax. That's right. No, I agree. I agree. Um, I still count my blessings, of course, you know. Uh, <laughs> I never say that. I never said I did it. Um, <laughs> But the thing is like, for instance, yes, you will pay capital. You will have to pay capital gains in a property like a house, but there are ways around it because then you can go about it. You know, you do a 1031 uh, exchange and you don't have to pay any, any capital gains on that sole property. You could actually just reallocate that, that money to a bigger property and just start cashing in, you know, on that cash flow on a monthly basis. So there's ways around it in real estate, but when it comes to, the market is <laughs> a little tricky, but you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's a lot of money that's being made, you know, and I don't mind giving, giving back, you know, as long as we're all eating and, and, and we're healthy <laughs> and we're full. <laughs> okay. I just want to side tangent really quickly about real estate. And just because you said 1031 exchange, which means, you know, something about real estate, Yeah. this money that you're making trading stocks, do you plan to sort of like put it into an asset that's not currency or fiat currency? So like, do you plan to buy bars of gold or do you plan to buy real estate or something that where it's not tied to the stock market? Is that part of your long-term plan? Yes, it is. <laughs> you smart man you are. <laughs> so as you can see, like um, uh, my retirement plan is is my master plan. Um, I've decided to take full control of, of my retirement by acquiring many assets from stocks to real estate, intellectual properties and businesses. You know, I'm actually in the process right now of, of starting my own um, dance school from ground up. Um, there's so many different uh, hats that I wear. I'm a Wall Street stock market uh, day trader. I'm also a professional dancer, I'm, you know, an actor, performer, um, Broadway. 
launching this business, I'm also going to be having a lot of intellectual properties that I'm going to be selling, pretty much implementing all of the lessons that I've learned throughout these years. When I stepped away from dance, it gave me an opportunity to slow down, um, to start asking different, different questions. Pretty much after graduating school, you know, I felt like Nemo in the big blue ocean with nothing to show for all the my hard work, somewhat driving me to a deep depression and somewhat mad with my chosen profession at that time. You know, as they say, uh, I went through the dark night of the soul. <laughs> um, and at that time, I also took full custody of my brother's son, which was another important factor in my journey, because having a child before my time turned turned out to be one of my greatest blessings. It enabled me to start asking uh, different questions, more serious questions about my future and the financial security of my family. It was no longer just about me. It was about we, about us. It certainly changed my perspective. I was now a home dad. And being a home dad, you, there's only but so much you can do with your time. You have to be present. You have to be there. So I knew that I had to take advantage of the free time that I had and become a person of value, a person of real value. So I, I went to work on myself, acquiring the financial literacy I never had, and you now see, and learning the difference between assets and liabilities. That's a big one, that's a big one. I didn't even know the difference between the two. I also learned about the corporations, the banking system, and the three different types of incomes there is and how I wanted to have all three coming in simultaneously. Okay, so because you just said so much right there, what is the difference between an asset and a liability? An asset puts money in your pocket. A liability takes money out of your pocket. It's that simple. The majority of people spend too much time on liabilities instead of assets. You know, the rich get richer because they are investing in assets. They are, they, they're investing in paychecks. They're not investing in a car. They're not investing in, in that chinchilla. They're not investing in, in jewelry. Look at Mark Zuckerberg. Look at all of them. When you see them being interviewed, they don't have jewelry. They don't have Gucci belts. They're not falling for that trap. The name of the game is to be rich, not to look rich. Knowing the difference between what is an asset and a liability will take you a long way. Asset puts money into your pocket. Liability takes money out of your pocket. For instance, stocks, you know what you're doing. Um, you got that train eye. They don't put money in your pocket consistently on a day-to-day -day basis. If you utilize that money to then get into real estate and buy your property, every day of the month, I'm getting paid. People need a, a roof over their head. That's putting money in my pocket. That's two streams of income right there. Outside of my business, my online business, which a lot of the businesses right now have gone virtual, which is a blessing because it can travel with you anywhere you go. You don't have to deal with with the expenses of, of maintaining a storefront. Okay, wait, side question. You said online business. What is that for you? I'm starting a, a online uh, dance school business. Oh, uh, okay. So you're not talking about like an actual building. No. You're just talking about virtual Virtual dancing. dancing. Um, now I have, uh, my funnel comes with me everywhere. My storefront comes with me everywhere. So I can be traveling all over the world. I could still be giving my followers just what they want and need. If I was to open a school here, you know, I'm, I'm stuck to this premises, this zip code. I don't know where my life may lead me. So what better way to start than, than taking advantage of this, this, this pandemic and going virtual? Going back to something you said earlier of like, I got financially literate. I didn't know what an asset was versus a liability. And I learned what the three types of income are. 
what are those three types of income? Hey, that's a very important question. I'm glad we're here. <laughs> um, so there's the hard earned income, the income that the majority of people exchange their time for, which is their nine to five. I exchange my time and you pay me. You, you only get paid when you show up. What happens when you don't show up? That's where residual income comes in, into play. Residual income is income that you, you're getting for prior work, real estate, intellectual properties, movies, music. Uh, these are all residual incomes. It's not, you're not putting time in for it. It's something that you put in the time one time or you put in the talent one, one time and then you're going to get the income for not doing anything. Right. You know, now maybe you, you, you oversee it or, or, or manage it a little bit, but the hard work, the heavy lifting has already been done. And now it's just uh, you reaping what you've sown. And land is king. Land is king, you know? There's only but so much land in this world. <laughs> and then the last but not least, digital liquidated income, which is stocks, bonds, which is what, what we're talking about in this uh, podcast. Well, my question for the digital stuff is, if you, let's say you buy a dividend stock, a dividend stock, would that be considered residual if you're just collecting the dividends? Or does that go into your digital category? Yes. And maybe it doesn't matter. <laughs> it, it falls on both categories, you know, because it's coming residually and in liquid form. But yeah, to answer your question, yes, it, it will fall under both categories. If you're, if you're working with that, then you're, you're, you're certainly heading in the right direction. They say that sitting is the new smoking. Yes, it is. <laughs> but I think that applies here of like in our lives. If you sit, you're killing yourself. If you don't take action, you're killing yourself. That's what it comes down to. If you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. If you can't run, then then walk. If you can't walk, then, then crawl. But by all means, keep moving forward like Dr. King said. <laughs> but I want to talk to the people that are like me. Oh, I'm 40. It's too late. I'm 60. It's too late. No, plant that seed now. It's never too late. Because it's just as valuable now. Everything, compound interest, it's more valuable right now than it is in a year. It's more valuable right now than it is in a month. Yeah. Start now. Just because Roman is ahead of us on this sort of answering the tough questions thing doesn't mean that we shouldn't do it. It's never too early to start. I mean, it's never too late to start and never too early too. It's not a race. This is a marathon and you're on your spiritual journey. And so am I. And it entails us picking up different things at different times. Be gentle and patient with yourself. Acknowledge that the entrepreneur life is certainly not for the faint hearted. You won't be great when you start. You, you, you might certainly incur more losses than wins, but you must start to be great. This entails going through a lot of the trial and error and really embracing failure. Listen, I failed more than I succeeded, but it's because I was willing to put myself on the line and fail over and over again and kept showing up that allowed me to succeed after all. The people who succeed are those who, who tried one more time. It took me so long for me to be profitable in this new field, longer than I really wanted than I had anticipated, to be honest. I wanted like yesterday, give me money now. <laughs> but there were so many things that I had to grow and develop. I had to become that person worthy to, to know what, what, what I know. I wasn't ready. I wasn't prepared. Uh, I was very impatient. But how do you acquire patience? By doing that which requires patience. To learn this profession too, you can pay. There's two ways that you can pay. You can either pay with your money by paying someone else to like 
acquire the services or just to acquire the know-how or you pay with time. I pay with time. I didn't have money. YouTube became a, a gold mine for me. You know, there's so much valuable content on YouTube that goes unnoticed. Including this podcast. Hey, <laughs> yes, yes. It's one of those things where, where you have to take full control of that which seeps into your mind. Final question. Where can people find out more about you? Yeah, so you can find me at, at my Instagram platform at Roman J. Cruz underscore or Facebook, of course, um, through my name, Roman Cruz. And last but not least on that Broadway stage when we come back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, Roman, yes, yes. thank you so much. Absolutely loved this conversation and we're going to have to have you back. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You know, I had such a great time, you know, sharing a part of me with you and those who tune in to your to your podcast because it really matters. This information really matters and it makes a difference. And you can even not only provide for your own financial security, but for your seedlings too, you know? When you pass on, what are you gonna be leaving behind? Are you gonna be leaving them assets or liabilities? You know, and I wanna be leaving them better than how they found me. Amazing, Roman. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Ethan. I really appreciate you and I look forward to uh, seeing you again. That was our interview with Roman Cruz. My takeaways were, have an honest conversation with yourself. Do you want financial freedom? And do you want it enough to become financially literate and take action to become financially independent? Roman is a visionary. That doesn't mean he's out to travel to Mars or create a space hotel. It means he's envisioning his life, how he wants it to be, and working toward that. He's achieving what he wants to become so that he can help others as he accomplishes it. Are you a visionary? Have you created your vivid vision? And finally, there are no shortcuts. Yes, you can day trade just like Roman, but how badly do you want it? If you want it enough, you'll study and take action, but you have to take the time to learn and you have to take the time to actually do it. Are you willing to have the short-term pain of learning and growing to be able to take advantage later? That's back to the honest conversation with yourself. Find the additional content from this episode over at Patreon. Roman talks about financial literacy, the books he's read, and the specific software and hardware setup he uses to day trade. Access that and support the show for as little as $3 a month. In addition to the extended interviews, you get early access to the shows, and most importantly, you can feel good about supporting our mission of financial literacy and providing an educational resource for artists. And remember to become a patron by May 5th. If I can get 50 patrons by May 5th, I will continue to publish episodes every week. Visit patreon.com slash artistic finance to help out. And if that action step is too much for you, the next most valuable thing you can do is to share this podcast with an artist in your life or subscribe on a podcast app or subscribe on YouTube. That's it for today. Until next time, break a leg. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance. Find more information on our website, artisticfinance.com. Please subscribe to our podcast and please leave a rating and review. Artistic Finance is produced in New York City by Nicole and Ethan Steimel. Producing consultant Anne Nygren-Doherty. Graphics and website by Josh Cutler. Music by Chong Liu. Music by Chong Liu.